0: Next week, with it being Affirming the Faith weekend, I will not be here. I'll be traveling Sunday morning, Uh, and so Ryan is going to teach the class. We've had discussions about these things uh, last year, Uh, so I'm going to give him my outline. He'll probably remind you of all of this, but I told him just, you know, go through the stuff. And any questions you get, feel free to say, great question. Jack will answer that next week when he (laughs) returns. So so we'll do that. But he's going to get into Genesis chapter 11. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 will be involved in that. Uh, Psalm 82 will also be involved in that. Uh, We'll bring that back into the picture. Uh, And that's where we'll start today. Um, uh, As well as, I think, some New Testament ideas uh, will be brought in. Uh, with all of that. So uh, so do, do continue to be here uh, next week for the class. Uh, all that material will be there, and uh, I can retread some of that if necessary, or questions, uh, what have you. Uh, today we're going to start, if you want to turn over to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to look at a number of passages, but Genesis 3 and 6, uh, we're going to spend the most time in uh, and talk about some things there. Uh, you'll notice if you flipped through, it's front and back, but the, the back page says 6 at the bottom, because we have a lot of stuff. Um, I do want to try to get through all of this today, <laughs> uh, because a lot of this is uh, answering, uh, setting forth and then answering some objections to uh, primarily Genesis 6, and so I want to spend time with that uh, when we get there. Let's start with... Uh, kind of what we've gone over the last few weeks here. <clears throat> uh, over the last couple of weeks, we discussed the importance of spiritual realm studies, uh, talking about the fact that it's discussed in the Bible, as well as extra-biblical literature, uh, books that the Jewish people uh, wrote that talked about their background, understanding of, of what they believed happened within the Bible, so it's important for that reason. Uh, And it's also something that they studied, Peter and Jude, uh, both uh, Peter alludes to it, Jude alludes to it, and directly quotes one of those books. Uh, They were students of that literature, Uh, and so at the very least, we need to understand that 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 informs their their thought processes uh, about how uh, the Bible works and what is being taught there and all that. Uh, It gives background to sinful behavior keeps us focused on our true enemy, that there is uh, something that we cannot see. We see the effects of it, but we may not see uh, the actual enemy. Our enemy is not people. Uh, Our enemy is is evil. It is those things that are trying to uh, move away from the way God has created the world to be. Uh, That is our enemy. Now, people do that, but then the question is, what drives people to do that? Uh, And I believe it is these things within the unseen realm,
1: uh, we'll get into more
0: of that today. Uh, and then number four, provides us with greater appreciation for what God has done in our lives, because as we will set out this week and next week, uh, the way that the Genesis story starts, as you know from Sunday evenings, Genesis is very important because it shows us who God is, uh, how he made things uh, and how he's going about redeeming all of this stuff that has been corrupted, uh, and we're going to see the beginning of that corruption today. But it's not one event; it's three, as we've talked about before. Okay, we also dove into Psalm 82, uh, where it introduces us to this idea of the council of God, the divine council of God, uh, that there is some, uh, that there is some, uh, you can say throne room or like council room. There's chairs up here. Sorry. Uh, if if you want to sit, don't turn around and look at people. It makes people feel weird. <laughs> divine council of God, uh, made up of spiritual beings. Uh, you also have the role of the divine council described there, because their punishment is the not fulfilling of these things. Uh, they have not been bringing justice. They have not been encouraging uh, justice and taking care of others, but uh, allowing all sorts of evil to to continue, uh, and that's a problem. They failed uh, in their in their job, uh, and so they will ultimately be punished. And then that psalm ends with the hope of uh, the Lord uh, Yahweh uh, inheriting all the nations. So these nations that are split up and divided, uh, where these sons of God's uh, sons of God have jurisdiction, uh, that one day God will bring all of those into uh, His fold again. Uh, which that's how we begin. There's a fracturing of that. That's how all of this is going to end. It's all that stuff on the in-between that we're looking and going. There's greater, deeper meaning uh, than maybe what we already believe there. Uh, we also discussed the phrase Elohim that is both translated God and gods in Psalm 82. Uh, and that's consistent throughout the Old Testament. Uh, when we have a, it's a plural wor- word, but when we have a singular action that follows, that's where you get capital. G-O-D, but when you have a plural action that follows uh, the plural Elohim, you get gods, which shows up several times, as we'll see more today. Uh, and these things are not necessarily good. They can be bad as well. We'll see some of that as well in just a moment. Uh, we also discussed last week sacred spaces and places, mountains, gardens, temples, wilderness. Uh, and so as we go throughout various texts and things, just keep all that in mind, starting in Genesis 3 here in a moment. Garden, obviously. Uh, Somewhat argue mountain as well, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, But garden for sure. Uh, And uh, be on the lookout for other things as we move through other passages. Before we get into Genesis 3, uh, I want to read from Job 38. This is on your paper. We're moving on to page 2. Of 6, don't forget. If you're like, I have a thought that maybe I want to throw out, but it may not matter all that much, I don't know uh that this is one of those days where you're like "Eh, i'll just let me see where he's going Uh, (laughs) the opening chapters of genesis do a great job showing us who god is that's what the book's about uh who he wants us to be and how we came into being but it doesn't do a lot to shed light on what if anything came before us because that's not the point of genesis that's not its goal so it doesn't need to do that uh that's not what needs to be accomplished for Israel as they're making their way to the promised land, which is when Genesis is being written down uh, by Moses. And so it doesn't really discuss that. Uh, That has led to a lot of speculation and things and all this, but there is some commentary uh, biblically on those sorts of things. Uh, And that is specifically in Job chapter 38. Uh, which you have here on your paper. Uh, we discussed the divine council a little bit ago, and it gave us a glimpse into the spiritual realm uh, and that there are beings aside from God in the heavenly places, which I, don't, but I think we'd all agree with. Uh, the trouble is I think we would just agree with uh, the good spiritual things. There's God and there's some angel things, and there's some other stuff that looks really strange uh, in the descriptions we're given biblically. Uh, But there's also bad things noted as being in the heavenly places. That's how Paul lays that out in Ephesians 6, uh, which we talked about, I think, in class number one uh, of this this series. But these things in the heavenly places, they have responsibilities, they were created, uh, and they have free will uh, to either go along with God's plan or to ignore God's plan and do their own thing. Uh, And we'll see that today. Uh, questions we have to follow might be, why do they exist? When did they come into existence? We'll talk about the why uh, in a little while, but the when can be answered at least in part, Job 38, uh, 4 through 7. Here is what it says. Uh, God speaking to Job here. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? So here's our time frame. Uh, Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? So we are talking about initial creation of this stuff being made, the foundations of the earth, uh, the creation being made, uh, dealing with the cornerstone and the bases and all of this. This is the structure and framework of the earth. We're not yet in the whole, okay, let's get to the garden week and all of this stuff. We're in part of that, but we're not done. Okay, This is not post-Adam and Eve. This is pre-Adam and Eve. Uh, foundations being laid. And then in verse 7, when the morning stars sang sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So just in this little section, we get still maybe more questions than answers, but we get this understanding of, okay, as the foundations are being laid, God has already (laughs) created something, uh, not here because he's working on earth at this time, but while he's working on the earth, There are these things created in heaven that are watching all of this stuff take place, Uh, and it's worth noting uh, that the morning stars and sons of God. This is uh, it's two names for the same sort of thing. This will come up again uh, later on. Happens in Ezekiel. uh, We're not going to read that today. Uh, but I believe your your outline last week, and if you lost it or didn't get one, it's on that little stool back there, um, has that Ezekiel reference uh, where you'll see Morning Morningstar uh, and things like that. Okay, things created in the spiritual realm before us. Now, I have more questions about all of that stuff. Uh, God doesn't go into any further explanation than that uh, because he's speaking to Job and answering some of Job's uh, questions here. And he doesn't need to pursue this idea any further than this. But uh, at least it gives us an indication of these things were created prior to us, uh, prior to the creation of the earth here. Okay, let's jump into that creation. Genesis chapter 3, if you want to turn over there. Uh, You'll have verses on your paper. We'll kind of jump through uh, a few different places. A lot of stuff uh, to cover and all of this. In fact, let me make sure... I know at all times what time it is. All right. In Genesis 1 and 2, we are shown the good. And this is uh, when you hear good, uh, you should think, at least in Hebrew terms, uh, things functioning as intended. Uh, That idea will come up in the sermon this morning, too. Uh, this this idea of things moving and working the way that they're supposed to. And when God created this good creation, everything was uh, exactly as he intended it to be, designed the way that it's supposed to be. I mean, God said, here, I'm going to make this. That's what it is. It has reached its potential. It's 100% of 100%. It's exactly what it should be. Uh, That doesn't remain that way. There's a corruption to that creation. Uh, but that's not how it begins. Every, everything is perfect. Everything is functioning the way that it was intended to function, uh, working perfectly. And that's the absolute best uh, that we could ever hope for. That is how things will end. Okay, that's where John comes back to. Uh, but as soon like, as soon as we're introduced to this whole idea of good, and Genesis 1 and 2 goes through repetitively saying, good, 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 good. Everything's working the way that it's supposed to, and then it does not in Genesis chapter 3. Here's what we have in verses 3 through 5. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. That's Eve responding to a serpent question here. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So in Genesis 3, we're introduced after this perfect creation to something within the creation, within some kind of, because it's not God that's doing this, some created thing that is acting not good. It's it's out of place. It's not functioning the way that it's supposed to. That's a problem. Uh, but when we read through Genesis 3 and we have this encounter, uh, our, uh, I mean, my my tendency is, You know, how'd this get there? Uh, Where'd this thing come from? What's going on here? Because there's not a lot of explanation uh, about how all of this happened. Uh, What it's explaining is uh, why this creation now is going to start moving in a corrupted way, in a a destroyed way. But there's a lot of questions that we might have here about the serpent. Uh, The serpent itself, the actual, like, animal that is speaking here, and that's the language that's being used, Uh, The serpent itself was not evil. It's part of God's good creation. But the voice that used the serpent absolutely was. Uh, Later on, uh, 1 John 3, 8, uh, and in Revelation 12, 9 and 20 in verse 2, and I'll just kind of summarize that quickly. Uh, 1 John 3, 8, uh, there is this uh, discussion of uh, you are uh, sons of the devil who's been a liar from the beginning, Uh, And John routinely takes us back to Genesis. His gospel begins the way Genesis begins. He's wanting to to connect us back, uh, to bring us back to this idea uh, as he talks about Jesus there. Uh, And he does that throughout his other letters as well. Uh, And so when he talks about this liar from the beginning, our our natural thought is, okay, from the beginning, and here's this lie. And that's exactly what takes place here. Uh, And so you have John... Uh, equating, uh, uh, telling us that this serpent back here that's lying is this Satan individual uh, that people still follow into his day. Uh, Revelation 12, 9 and 20, verse 2, uh, talks about the the dragon who is not a good thing. Uh, The serpent of old is what he is referred to. So while that doesn't say from the beginning, it does say, of old and serpent. And so it connects us to this idea of, okay, when you think serpent, what are you going to think about? You're going to think about Genesis chapter three. Uh, And that's what John's trying to do. So throughout his writing, he brings us back to the garden here and says, there's something at work uh, here within within the serpent. God doesn't go, okay, everything is created good except for this one thing that I snuck in here uh, that was not good. You know, this thing just to throw a little wrench into all of this and test them and all—that's not what that is. Uh, there is something at work within this creation, trying to lead the creation astray, trying, trying to break that, trying to break power away from God, uh, to say, "Don't follow after Him." You know, He's lying. He knows that if you eat this, you'll be like Him, and He doesn't want that, so He's holding you back. He's keeping you from something good. Listen to Me instead. That's what's going on. Genesis 3. Okay, page 3. We're moving. I know this is a lot of stuff. Just a reminder, you can listen to these on audio. I think you can even slow me down, like half speed if you want to. Uh, So, uh, that might be useful uh, later this week. Okay, the only other time we see an animal speak, its mouth is being opened by a supernatural force. Now, that's God. That's the donkey saying, why are you hitting me? Which... Which is nuts. Uh, what a weird <laughs> what a weird encounter that would have been. Uh, but we we only have one other example that doesn't mean that that's absolutely what's happening here, but if you look at that example and go, okay, well, it's happened here, it's probably what this is too. It is a created thing, uh, animal being used by supernatural force. Uh, that we know that that's occurring in numbers twenty two. That's explicit. Uh, and that force is God. Uh, so it's not, it's not evil, and so you might say, well, that's not an evil force using it, or that's okay, sure. Uh, but the only other example we have is a uh, creature uh, being talked through uh, by a supernatural force. Seems to be what's going on here, anyway. Uh, I'm not sure that there would be any real disagreement on that point. Uh, I kind of, it, it's hard to gauge where people are at with this stuff. Some people are like, I've, I've not thought about any of this whatsoever. Uh, others are maybe more on the thought train about all of this. Uh, but I think this is pretty, uh, standard belief. That's not to say that it's the only one or the absolute right one. Uh, but I do think it is the right one. That's so why I'm teaching it uh, that way. Okay. What we see in Genesis three, uh, then is a free will spiritual being exercising its power to lead another free will being astray. Uh, that being Adam and Eve. Uh, This appears to be referred to in Ezekiel 28, 2 through 13. We're not going to read that today because we don't have time, but definitely circle that, further study, check that out. Uh, Because if you read through that, you have a physical king uh, being, he's going to be cast down, he's going to lose his kingdom and all of this. And then there's an illustration comparison of all of that, talking about the one who fell in Eden. Uh, If you read through that, It is not Adam or Eve. It doesn't make sense to be Adam or Eve. Uh, And so the question then is, all right, well, what fell in Eden? What in the world are we talking about? Uh, This guy uh, seems to be what's being discussed. Okay, read through that uh, and then uh, ask Ryan all those questions next week. He'll be ready for Ezekiel 28. Uh, Okay, the point of what we're told here, one of the spiritual beings created by God before the foundation of the world Uh, Came down into his good creation to corrupt it. Chose to work against God. Uh, Just one individual, it appears, at this moment. The mission is successful uh, as God's people rebel through disobedience. And the creation starts to be cursed slash corrupted with them due to sin. And that's uh, within the curse here, verses 14 through 19. It's verse 17 of Genesis 3. uh, In the curse to Adam. So Adam is being cursed, but there is a curse within all of this. Cursed is the ground because of you. That's about midway through verse 17. And that's going to have consequences for Adam and Eve, and that's the focus. It's going to have consequences for Adam. Uh, In pain you shall eat of it. Uh, It's going to be more difficult to grow things. Before, the creation just, you'd walk along and here's the the stuff to eat, because that's how God intended it to work. Enjoy. Here, Here it is now it's going to require a little more work because the creation itself has been corrupted. There, there are issues there. That similar language is brought up uh, with Cain and Abel. Uh, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. The, the ground is given a lot of, a lot of action in these, these opening parts here. Uh, and that becomes important with the promise to, to Abram as well as we've, we've seen. Maybe we'll discuss that tonight, I don't know. Uh, There's some other, we have to talk about circumcision tonight, by the way, so if you weren't excited for this evening sermon, there you go, Uh, show up for that. Okay, Uh, but this, this free will being created before the creation has chosen rebellion and has now led these physical beings on the earth into rebellion. That has consequences for not just them, but also the earth itself. Uh, and as we progress through these lessons, you're, you're, you'll see, and we'll note it, and we're going to note it here in a big way in a second, uh, that this just kind of snowballs, that <laughs> the creation is going to be corrupted, corrupted, corrupted. It's, things get worse. And so when you think about, wow, they sure lived a long time, then yeah, they did. Uh, but then you start to see all that stuff decline. Or we read about uh, foods and how big they were and things like that. If they needed multiple people to carry this cluster of grapes. Okay, well, what, what was the world like then versus what it is now? Well, we're dealing with, we're dealing with a, a corrupted world. It's not a, it's not a cliche or a preacherism or whatever. When we say we live in a fallen world, the creation itself is messed up. Uh, this thing that we walk on is messed up because of sin too. Uh, Sin has consequences for it. Paul talks about that in Romans 8. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter 3. It's all over the place. Okay. Let's move to Genesis 6. We might have this question. We don't have time for it, but I want you to think about this. What is the goal of that leading astray? Why? Why? Why choose... Uh, to go, you know what, I'm going to actively work against God after seeing him create all of this st- Like, I-, I have a chance against this guy. I'm going to take him down. Where does that idea come from, and what's the point? What, what is the goal? What's, what's the purpose of all of that? Okay, be thinking about that idea. Genesis 6. Uh, If you've thought about the spiritual realm, this is probably the passage that you've thought about the spiritual realm. Because there's a lot of discussion about all of this. You could open up uh, any number of commentaries. uh, And you will see a lot of people say, this has nothing to do with angels. It's not there whatsoever. Uh, You could also open up another bunch of commentaries. uh, And you'll see people going, this is absolutely angels. It's absolutely what's taking place here in all of this. Okay, As far as uh, scholarship is concerned... Uh, There are a lot of people not on that train, and there are a lot of people on that train. Uh, So just because somebody with a PhD says something is so doesn't make it so. Uh, But this tends to be one of those places where people appeal to it, where maybe they wouldn't normally, which is weird uh, to me. But uh, you have this very much split. Our goal today uh, is not to figure out uh, what Jack believes or what you believe, or any of that, or what so-and-so writer that I like says, or anything like that, Uh, but to try and understand Genesis 6 through the eyes of the Jewish people, which means we're going to read some extra biblical literature, because they talk about Genesis 6. Uh, We're also going to read from the New Testament, (coughs) where some event is talked about, and the only place that that really fits, based on their background, is Genesis 6. So we'll talk about those things. I I want to understand, we, we have to understand the Bible, Uh, in its first context before we try to bring it into ours. So we might say, well, this is what I think that this is. Okay, but what did they think that it was? And then let's work from there. That's what we're going to do this morning uh, in the time that we have left, which may be enough. I don't know. Okay, midway through three there, the sons of God, Genesis 6. Between the fall of Genesis 3 and the flood of Genesis 6, we pass almost 2,000 years of time. Genesis 5 says, uh, Genesis 4 says, here's Cain and Abel. And that's not a good situation. And we get a little genealogy there. And then Genesis 5 says, what if we had a full chapter of genealogy and just fast forward? Uh, And then when we get into Genesis 6, we go from don't eat of this and they disobey to murder because Cain's feelings are hurt uh, to passing, fast forwarding all this time to going, oh man, there's Noah (laughs) and his family and everybody else is... Uh, doing evil and spreading evil and all this evil is is just going throughout all the earth and creation's very corrupted to the point where God says, we're resetting. We're resetting this uh, to, to fix all of this stuff here. okay? Uh, so that's Genesis 6. When we enter into that story, we are entering into many years of passage of time after the initial creation, and things have gotten very, very bad. Then we get this, to introduce us. After a long genealogy, things kick up. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be a 120 years. That is... 120 years from now, things are over. Uh, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, Uh, we are going to look at this uh, from a very, let's, let's follow some phrases in the Bible and let's ask a lot of questions. Uh, and There may be more questions than what we actually have listed here, but that's the reason why uh, the Thursday class, if you have this outline, I think it's like four pages. <laughs> uh, so I added a couple pages because I thought we needed more discussion on this. Uh, and I imagine that there will be more questions afterwards, but let's get through this and then I'll, I'll, I can talk about this stuff forever. I'd love to. Okay, notice the first phrase, sons of God uh, returning for us here. Uh, but if you're reading just from Genesis 1 and you don't have Psalm 82 in your head, where we have the whole sons of God language, uh, and you're just reading through, you get to Genesis 6 and go, Well, that's new. Uh, what is this? Uh, sons of God, what is this phrase? What does all of that mean? Uh, but we've seen uh, in Job uh, how sons of God and morning star idea connected, these created things before the foundation of the earth. So we know in Job, Uh, They are these spiritual beings, but we'll come back to Job in a moment. Um, We also have Psalm 82 of this divine counsel of God, where sons of God are talked about there. Uh, And that's very much a spiritual uh, thing that is taking place here. Uh, But let's add some more passages into this. Uh, The reason why I want to do this is because on one side, you have people will say sons of God referring to spiritual beings, whether you want to say that's angels or not is a whole nother thing. But we'll say spiritual beings, acting opposed to god the other popular belief and there are a few but there's really one other prominent one Uh, if it's not spiritual beings then it's human beings Uh, and the argument is this uh, the you have the sons of god and the daughters of man and so what they would say uh, what they do say is the sons of god are righteous men Uh, But because of the corruption of the world, those righteous men are not marrying righteous women. Uh, They're marrying, instead, um, uh, unrighteous women. And so you have that. The creation is just going to continue to be corrupted because every generation is just more and more. And that's the argument. Um, uh, uh, There's a reason that it's as prominent as it is. I don't agree with it. Let's talk about why. Let's move to there. Okay. Sons of God, first phrase, that's what we're going to deal with. Genesis 6, 2, and 4, it's used in both of those places. Uh, so let's set that aside. Question marks, is that talking about people or is it talking about spiritual beings? We don't know. Let's look at some other places first. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 8, and Ryan will deal with that next week uh, in the class. You have to. Uh, it's on the paper. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, and maybe that should say, no, yeah, it's 8 and 9, speaks of a past event when the peoples of the earth were scattered, which is followed by God's choosing of a people group, being Jacob or Israel. Abram uh, isn't even Abraham by Genesis 12, uh, and Israel isn't, you know, the name for quite some time uh, in the book of Genesis, but... Abraham is the father of that nation. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, here's why I bring all that up, uh, seems to be discussing uh, the Tower of Babel event. That's why it's an important one for us to highlight. That's why it will be talked about next week. Uh, And Deuteronomy 32, 8, appears to be referring back to this moment of scattering. The phrase that's used is the disinheriting of the nations. Well, Psalm 82, uh, verse 8, this arise God, inherit the the nations, bring them back. Okay. When were they disinherited? Yeah. Deuteronomy 32 gives us an answer to that. Uh, this time of the Tower of Babel, uh, and Deuteronomy 32.8 says that the nations were disinherited and, uh, scattered numbered according to the sons of God. Well, that sure helps fill out Psalm 82 a little bit more as well of, how do these sons of God have any responsibility over other nations? Well, because there came a point where God said, you're all scattered and I'm focusing on one group here. Well, that's Genesis 11 and 12. And that's why there's such a stark contrast in the way 1 through 11 is written and then 12 through the end of the book where it slows down dramatically because God is now shifting his attention to (coughs) one group, not because they're more important and special than everybody else on the earth, but through that one group, God is going to bring the thing that inherits all these disinherited people groups. Through Jesus, all this stuff, eventually. Jeremiah 32.8, sons of God, talking about this Tower of Babel event, uh, seems to very much give us fill-ins for Psalm 82. Very much appears to be a spiritual discussion there. Okay, Uh, we talked about Job at the beginning, uh, but we didn't mention Job 1, verse 6, and Job 2, and verse 1. The sons of God come to present themselves before the Lord. uh, And along with them is uh, Satan uh, or adversary. I say a Satan. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, He's given the ability to stretch out his hand against Job. We might also ask the question, uh, where are they walking up to God just to have conversation with him? I would like to know that because if it's here on earth, I'd love to go have a conversation with God. That would be cool. Uh, that doesn't seem to be where this is taking place, though it doesn't say uh, in the heavenly realm they had this, just as the sons of God, alongside uh, somebody noted as Satan, which is a Hebrew word, so it's not being translated for us. Uh, a, a Satan here presenting themselves before God, and they have this discussion, uh, but they are given this ability to do some, you know, stretch out your hand and all of this in, in both of these places affect Job. And we know what happens to Job. That is, uh, that is not natural stuff. They're, they're just, oh, Hey, this lightning bolt came down and set all this fire and everybody died except for me. And I came into, that's the kind of stuff happening to him or, you know, boom, now you're covered in, uh, all of these boils and everything and all this. Okay. That's, that all seems very much supernatural. Perhaps you disagree. Uh, but we'll, we'll press on here. Top of page four. Job 38, 7, as we noted earlier, this has to be a reference to spiritual beings. This stuff before the creation is made, uh, if you want to say that's not spiritual beings, you have a problem. Uh, I don't want that problem. Uh, so it seems very much spiritual beings to me. Uh, and then Psalm 89, 5 through 7, sons of God, uh, is translated as heavenly beings in this passage uh, in one of the sections. It's a whole nother psalm. <laughs> Uh, where you have the phrase, the Hebrew phrase, sons of God, but it's given the translation heavenly beings. Uh, There's also a reference to God's council of the holy ones in Psalm 89. Uh, Lest we think that Psalm 82 is the only place where we get the council idea, it's not. Uh, Psalm 89 also discusses this, uh, and you should compare Psalm 89 and Psalm 82 uh, for what's taking place. Also, we'll have a place outside of the Psalms that talks about the council of God in a more, uh, explanatory sort of way. Like we actually get a, we actually get a council meeting and we get to see it. Uh, Micaiah got to, and he describes it for us and it's awesome. Uh, so we'll get there uh, in a little bit. I only say that to say, don't go, yeah, well that's in the Psalms and that's a poetic book. And so maybe this is, okay. Kings is not poetic though. Uh, when we get into there, that's, That's Micaiah saying, here's what I'm seeing. Let me tell you about it. All right. Since most of these references explicitly use the phrase in reference to spiritual beings, and the ones that don't could be, uh, though perhaps you can make an argument the other way, when you have sets that are explicitly saying the Hebrew phrase, which is uh, B'nai Elohim, that is sons of God, uh, when you have that Hebrew phrase show up in the text, uh explicitly in a few places or most places it's talking about spiritual beings and other places you can make an argument that it might not be spiritual beings but you can also make the argument that it is spiritual beings when that's the case uh, i i think that it is not wise to go okay well it means this here but in this spot it does not mean that it means something else that seems needlessly confusing to take a phrase that means something and then go, yeah, but it means something completely different here. Uh, the safer option uh, and the one that's most consistent is to say, if it means this here, it's probably what it means here. Genesis 6 is not the clearer passage. Uh, it, is, it, it leaves us with a lot of questions, but <clears throat> passages like Job 38, uh, Psalm 82, Psalm 89... Uh, give us more clear indications of what this phrase means. Okay, some questions that arise from this idea. 45, right? We got nine minutes. Cool. Uh, Great. Uh, Are you saying that there were multiple spiritual beings that rebelled against God? Because if this is sons of God's plural, and there's plural committing sin here, so am I saying that there are multiple things that rebelled against God? Yes, I am. Uh, And this is also the Jewish belief, too. We'll see that in a moment. Question number two, uh, are you saying that these rebellious spiritual beings engaged in sexual relations with human women? Yes, as outlandish as that might seem, uh, consider. Uh, there are references made by both Peter uh, in 2 Peter 2, four through5 and Jude uh, Jude 6 through7 about the actions of some angels. I want to read the Jude passage I think here just just listen. Because the way Jude describes all of this and what he connects it to is very important. And the angels who did not... So we know who we're dealing with. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he's kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Listen to this language. Just as... So now we're comparing what they did to what this group did. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which... Likewise, okay. another connecting, likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment in eternal fire. Jude, and and Peter does this too, but Jude's more explicit about it. Jude links, he doesn't say, uh, well, this group was immoral and then this one was also immoral. He says they were immoral and they left their proper position of authority and and their dwelling and all this and are punished. Just like this stuff who, likewise, this group in Sodom and Gomorrah, who, likewise, indulged in (coughs) sexual immorality. Well, likewise to who? People who just talked that's how writing works. That's what he's talking about. He's connecting those two things. Uh, Jude, where did you read about this all happening? Well, Jude read about it in some extra-biblical literature, but that's the way they believed Genesis 6. Uh, happened and what it was talking about number two uh, this was the common jewish belief at least during the second temple period and into the new testament writing before that is less prevalent Uh, but when they're writing all of these things during that time that god was silent uh, they are going back through all of this stuff and retreading and multiple places talk about genesis 6 and they all say the same thing this is what happened angels came down sex with women, we get these stupid giant things and they make the world a horrible place. And so God floods it out. They repeatedly, that was the Jewish belief. That's what they wrote. Okay. Uh, that, uh, this belief was also supported by writers like Philo, Josephus, Justin Martyr, uh, to name a few. Uh, those are all not just historians and writers, but uh, well-respected ones. Uh, and this was their belief and they supported that idea. Justin Martyr being a good one because he's further on into the the Christian time, uh, and he is saying, yeah, that's what we believe too. Uh, so this was a Christian belief as well uh, at some point. I wonder when that changed. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, how would natural means produce giant children is also the question that I would ask, uh, because you, there's no way around what is produced by this action. So an unrighteous individual and a righteous individual get together and the earth continuing to be corrupted and all of this stuff. That's bad. I get that. What I can't get down with is how do we get this? How do we get these things from that union? Uh, Now, if you want to say, well, there's a spiritual thing involved. There's a supernatural entity involved. All right. Well, that makes a little more sense as to how we get these, you know, freaks of nature walking around all over the place. And they are all over the place. And they play a major role in Deuteronomy in Joshua and then in David's time. And we'll cover that two lessons from now. Okay. Uh, What about Matthew 22 and verse 30, which tells us that the angels in heaven do not marry? A couple things. Marriage is not a part of the heavenly realm. Uh, Aside from our ultimate marriage is the church to Christ. That being said, the rules seem to change on earth, or at least there's potential for it. A few chapters later in the Genesis, we see angels sitting down and eating with Abraham. It says that they were all sitting there eating. So unless Moses is lying or missed that and the Holy Spirit forgot to correct them, uh, they're doing something physical. uh, And you'd have to say, well, they're doing that in heaven too. They eat there, but they don't do any other physical things. Uh, You know, that just, just seems like more of a headache. Seems like things change a little bit when you get down here. Uh, They also looked like normal people for a time. Uh, Hebrews also says that, uh, entertaining angels unawares. Uh, How? Well, they look different when they're here, except for the times when they don't, and then they look really different. But you know what you're looking at, uh, because it's terrifying. Uh, Okay, also, along with this, the Hebrew word here is the word used for woman and female. doesn't have to be wife. doesn't have to be marriage here at all. Just go and take women and have children with them. But that's another thing. Uh, this is the word used for uh, the creation of, of Eve. She's woman. She's female. It's that word. Uh, so this doesn't have to be wife. But anyway, uh, continuing on. It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. How? Okay, the Hebrew phrase here is a difficult one to translate into English. Uh, the phrase itself encompasses not only the result of the action, Nephilim, uh, but the action itself. So, uh, in other words, not only were the Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterward, but the reason for their existence in those days is also the reason for their existence afterwards. Uh, We don't have to have somebody on the ark carrying some giant gene or something like that. That's been one explanation. Um, What I'm putting forth here and what they, what the Jewish people believe, uh, is that there were multiple beings in rebellion and it happened more than once. Now, we'll talk more about that at a later time Uh, so are you saying that there are multiple rebellions of these things yes uh that seems to be the case uh what's stopping that happening now or is it still happening there's a pattern that exists with all of this stuff uh we will get into that as we progress forward but we need to flip to page five uh hey we're gonna skip this whole top section okay read that on your own (laughs) Uh, Jump down to the bottom of page five, because I've said that this is the Jewish belief really quickly. This is from a book called Jubilees. And it came to pass when the children of men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the angels of God saw them on a certain year of this Jubilee, that they were beautiful to look upon. They took themselves wives, that would also be the women word, "uh, of all whom they chose and they bare unto them sons and they were giants. And lawlessness increased on the earth and all flesh corrupted its way, alike men and cattle and beasts and birds and everything that walks on the earth. All of them corrupted their ways and their orders, and they began to devour each other. Uh, and lawlessness increased on the earth, and every imagine of the thoughts of all men was thus evil continually. Yeah, that's, that sounds very much like Genesis 6, but when the Jewish people are recounting that story, this is, this is what they believe. Angels came down, that's where the giants come from, they increased corruption. Specifically, it's not until after the flood that you're allowed to eat meat. Before then, it's vegetation only. Uh, that's what the text lays out for us in Genesis one, uh, Genesis one and two, um, uh, but after the flood is over, they're allowed to have uh, eat meat and all of those things. But here it says these things were so corrupt that they were dis- they're just ignoring every uh, uh, everything that God said to do. OK, the next one there and all others took together uh, with them, took unto themselves wives or women and each chose for himself one. And they began to go into them and to defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments, the cutting of roots. That's uh, medicine, drugs, sorcerer anyway, uh, and made them acquainted with plants. And they became pregnant and they bare great giants whose height was 3000 L's who consumed all the acquisitions of men, and when they and when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them, devoured mankind, they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. That's a different book where they're describing the same thing about Genesis 6, but then adding into all of this, those giants helped increase corruption by saying, let's learn about astrology and sorcery and uh, drug usage and Uh, How to consult the gods and all this. They're moving power, they're trying to move power away from the creator uh, and take some for themselves. There's one more passage. We can't read it, but I do want you to note how it begins. And Azazel. Yeah, we read that last week because that name that's dropped later on in Leviticus uh, about sending out the scapegoat for Azazel, uh, he is according to the Jewish belief, an actual demonic being that existed that was one of the rebellious entities. There are a number of names given to these rebellious entities in the Jewish mind. Here's what I'm not saying, uh, that they're all right about those names and who they are and all that stuff. What I am saying is this. If you asked a Jewish person or the New Testament Christians or even the Christians that followed after the New Testament was finished, they would say, Oh yeah, Genesis 6, that's angels, man. Those are rebellious beings uh, leaving God, leaving their proper position and doing things against the created order that God commanded them not to do. And because of that, the creation continued to, to be corrupted initially and get corrupted more and more and more to the point where God said, I've got to reset all of this. And he does. And then we make our way to Genesis 11. Ryan will teach that next week. Uh, any questions you have on this stuff or that stuff, maybe we'll just have a class of Q&A, fire them out, and let's talk about stuff. That might be a fun thing for us to do, so we'll do that. All right, let's pray together, uh, and then we'll be dismissed. (laughs) Father, we thank you for this day and this time that we have to meet together. I thank you for all those that are here, uh, present for this class, for those that listen to it later, and I pray that you bless our studies here uh, and help us to uh, understand this Uh, interesting but uh, challenging and and mysterious topic. Uh, We thank you that we can turn to your word uh, for uh, so much of this, and we thank you for uh, the other things that we're able to get into to see uh, how others uh, interpreted these things. God, help us to always be aware of the world around us, the seen and the unseen, and to be a part of the redemptive work uh, of bringing all of the nations, all of the creation back to you. Uh, as you make it what it's supposed to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name.